Welcome to Moving to the Cloud with a Secure Cyber Foundation discussion sponsored by Fortinet. Here's today's moderator, Tom Tammen. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Greg Hall, is Assistant Director of Information Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. Bo Hauser is Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. Colonel Brian Lytle is Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for the Information Assurance and Cybersecurity at the Transportation Security Administration. And Philip Quaid, Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. And I'm Tom Tennant. And I want to start today with this august crowd we have. You know, we have done several uh, cloud panels and some of you have been with us before, but since cloud is always moving and cybersecurity is always moving, we want to really get a good gauge of what the issues are in cloud adoption in the cybersecurity context today versus a year ago or even six months ago, because I think that's how fast it's moving. And Paul, why don't we start with you? Thanks, Tom. We've, uh, at TSA, we're moving forward on over five major cloud efforts, uh, mostly infrastructure as a service right now that is affecting you know, significant lines of business for us. Our human capital systems are, are, are moving in that direction as well as our training and development. Um, and as, as uh, a, a way for us to leave some legacy data centers behind and, and move into a more innovative approach. Then um, that's changing as this year has been about moving in towards a SaaS direction. Uh, how can we deliver services much more quickly to our, our uh, men and women out on the front lines uh, getting the data to them? That's the way that we're going to be able to do that and, and increase those, uh, those needed capabilities. From the cyber challenge that, that I look at every day, we, we've been at this for a year. We've learned a lot. There's a lot more we need to learn. Um, but where that gets in is some of the same channels we had in the premise, where we need visibility in all of those clouds. Each of those that have been set up have been framed around the service level agreements, with the cloud service provider, uh, and we quickly found, as everybody else did, that the tools we had in the premise aren't working in the, in the cloud, and each one kind of brings its own, how do, you, how do you put that together? So that visibility, my goal is to have a standard approach to security as we approach each different environment so that uh, we can have a repeatable process and I can have a really an aggregate look across all of, all of uh, TSA. At the same time, I think uh, one of the challenges is on our ability to keep up. The, the speed of innovation is, is, is going up because at the same time we're moving to clouds uh, and thinking about how to secure it, we're moving at the same time, we're changing the way we develop software and systems. We're moving into agile practices. Uh, we're introducing continuous integration, continuous development of, of software updates. And this year, the, the conversation has moved into containerization and microservices. These are the right things to do for security. It just takes a different skill set. Um, and it all starts with the security and design. So those are the things that uh, you know I'm constantly thinking about, and that gets back to people. Uh, these are new skills. We need to keep up at the same time. We, we want to keep ratcheting up what, what the health is and the cyber debt we're incurring across uh, all of those efforts. Okay, uh, Bo Hauser, Small Business Administration. We started our cloud journey about a year and a half ago when our, our new CIO came in and um, realized what um, the situation we had around our on-prem data center. So the cloud was the answer to that. And so over that time, we've um, worked, uh, we started with cloud 1.0, which was really the you know crawl, walk, run. That was our crawl. Now we're um, uh, what we're calling the cloud 2.0, um, and that's when we're you know really uh, gaining some momentum with the cloud. Um, and my uh, view, you know, I, I really see the what the cloud service providers have done around security. It's very impressive. Um, and so, you know, with, with like um, Paul was saying, with the visibility that we need, a lot of the cloud service providers are um, investing significantly in security and, and really um, exposing that visibility that we need. And so I think that's a great uh, leap forward and I think it, it really helps us tremendously get away from, you know, where we were struggling with our on-prem solution, getting into a cloud environment and, and um, turning on all this rich visibility around what's going on and really the, the identity associated with the activity as well. So uh, I'm optimistic. I think we have some work to do around data protection and, and really um, maturing into a data-centric security model. Um, but I think the visibility is very, very promising. 
And what are the types of applications so far that you have gotten under one transitioning to cloud 2.0? So we've got, uh, we've made a lot of progress uh, recently with um, SBA.gov, that's now in the cloud. Right. We have um, Certify, which is the application that small businesses use to, uh, to gain their um, socioeconomic status. Uh, that's now in the, in the cloud. Um, and it's, it's really um, interesting. Some of those are using container models and, and really, which really reduces the attack structure, uh, attack surface of the application. Um, so those are, are um, uh, what we've done so far, and, and our goal is to get completely into the cloud um, over the next uh, year. Okay, Phil, we're going to come back to you for the overall view, but let's go to Colonel Little at DISA, and uh, you've been on cloud for a long time. Yes, sir. So we, uh, so DISA kind of occupies a unique role within the Defense Department. Not only are we the authorizing official for cloud, um, but we also provide the mill cloud capability or hosting facility uh, on behalf of the rest of the Department of Defense, as well as uh, hosting some of our own internal applications, either within data centers or cloud. So right now we're in a hybrid environment, um, and some of our lessons learned in terms of migrating uh, from a data center where we actually own the applications and the workforce to a cloud environment where we are dependent upon a vendor to provide those security controls uh, ha has been very good and educational. It's helped us rethink the security boundaries as well as some of those fine-grained access controls that you have for specific applications or for the administrators. And so having our software engineers team directly with the security team um, and understanding what controls and capabilities are available from each vendor has been very beneficial, as well as understanding what the perimeter boundaries are, identity boundaries, et cetera, uh, that go back into our overall security effort um, and help secure our applications. Um, MillCloud is up and operational now. They're accepting customers. We have a few of the more collaborative type capabilities that have moved into that and has been successful so far. So pretty happy with the results that we're seeing. Um, anticipate that more of those things will move at least from DISA uh, applications as we look at as our own enterprise, but also uh, for us enabling others to move into some of the other cloud service providers yeah, as well. Yeah, that idea of security boundaries, that what is it really the big shift, I think, in cybersecurity, one of the big shifts in cybersecurity versus your old network where everything was in your perimeter or your firewall. Yes, so I think perimeter security is, is always going to be important, but it's simply a part of a layered defense to where in years past, perhaps even at the start of the internet where you had physical protections uh, at the perimeter in place to where now uh, everyone has access to it. Um, you're really at the edge user of the individual identity has become one of the more preeminent cyber protection policies and a focus on the architecture. Sure, okay, and we'll come back to that maybe in some more detail. And Greg, if justice, you have people going after cyber bad guys on one end of the building and you're protecting the data on the other end. That's right, Tom, it's a, it's a mixed bag. Uh, there's a lot of transition happening within the department uh, to include uh, consolidation of data center facilities. So we're going from really 54 facilities down to three, and those are effectively what's called core enterprise facilities. At the same time, we're also looking at cloud first and adopting cloud services. We have footprints in both AWS and Azure. Uh, we started about roughly two plus years ago. Um, a lot of the, uh, the, the models that we're seeing today are primarily software as a service. We're effectively inheriting infrastructure from those cloud service providers. Uh, most of those applications are, are e-litigation applications that allow us to do our Brady Giglio obligations and to you know, work with outside counsel and to share uh, discovery data. Uh, things like uh, Relativity, Vineo, those types of, um, uh, again, e-litigation applications, collabor collaboration applications well, allow us to... critical to the main mission of Absolutely, of and you can imagine the sensitivity of that information, too, and in ensuring that it's uh, protected. So uh, we're very in interested in security services that are available. I think today it's also, I think a lot of organizations are trying to determine what that mix is going to be in terms of cloud service provider, third-party provider, and on-premise, and I think it really, it's going to vary across the board. I think it really depends on the data, the mission criticality, uh, the type of business processes you have, and it's just going to vary. Uh, and I think that's the challenge today, is figuring out what that, that mixed bag is going to be. Um, in terms of security services, I, I think, again, it's going to be a mixed bag and looking at those different types of models. I know today we're looking at trying to extend some of the software that we have today into the cloud environment and provide that service, host it ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, 
um, you know, we're looking at uh, you know, specific AWS services that we could leverage, um, you know, particularly things like auditing, right? CloudTrail, CloudWatch, those kinds of services that I think are available that are FedRAMP certified and, and are easy to, uh, to integrate and provide that uh, transparency that we were talking about. So um, in terms of uh, understanding what's happening in that environment, uh, today we're collecting uh, endpoint telemetry, and I think there are different types of applications that provide us uh, that information, whether it's from the cloud service provider or uh, us extending that capability uh, into that environment, and, uh, and I think that really helps us understand what our risk posture is mm -hmm. as we're de you know, deploying services out there, uh, standing up virtual machines, we can get a sense of what those configurations are, uh, what some of the vulnerabilities and weaknesses might be, and, 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 and effectively manage our risk. Mm -hmm. Let me just ask you a quick question about the e-litigation discovery sure. data services. Are these uh, commercial type applications adopted for justice or are these homegrown? These are commercial applications. So relatively, as an example, is a commercial application. Vineo is a COTS-based application. Mm -hmm. So most of them are actually COTS applications. Yeah, because the legal software industry is really big and varied. Absolutely. You probably don't need to roll your own. So that must make it easier to go cloud than if you develop something in justice in 1967 in COBOL. Exactly, I think, I think, you know, I think most of us would agree GOTS is very hard to maintain, right? And I think, um, you, know, you know, all it takes is the primary developer to leave your organization and then all that knowledge capital walks out the door mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, then you're in a, a very difficult situation with you know, GOTS software. So I think COTS is really attractive to folks today. I think it scales, it's supportable, uh, it's easily integrated into the commercial cloud environments and, sure. and that's what we're going with. Okay, Phil, what are you seeing government-wide from Fortinet's perspective, especially as the cybersecurity target keeps moving for federal agencies? Yeah, we're, we're very, uh, the private sector is very happy to see uh, government policy and government technologists making decisions to move to the cloud. I think for too long, and, and I'm a former government person, so I can say this, say this with some compassion, uh, there's been some bit of, um, uh, some, uh, bit of paralysis where people thought there was, they had to make a false choice between going cloud or no cloud. And of course what we realize now, what everyone realizes now, that hybrid cloud is the way to go. There's some data that you're always going to want to keep in your own data center, and there's other data where it makes plenty of sense to move that data or utility computing to the cloud. So uh, you know, companies like Fortinet are busily uh, trying to make sure that as companies move some, but not all their, uh, organizations move some, but not all their stuff to the cloud, they're not trading off the complexity of managing their own data centers for the complexity of managing things in a hybrid environment. That is, um, the, you should move to the cloud for reasons like agility, resiliency, maybe some cost efficiency. Um, that, that's, you know, that's to be, to be told. Um, but you certainly don't want to do so at the increase of complexity. So private sector folks are busily making sure that uh, you can develop hybrid cloud solutions so that you can configure your systems identically, whether it's a physical appliance in your own data center or uh, a virtual appliance in the cloud. Yeah, so this idea of complexity too, I think there's even a sub-tribe of complexity within the cybersecurity and security monitoring suite that agencies have, and you always hear that complaint, I've got so many tools, and none of it works in the cloud, and Einstein is not a cloud thing yet, and CDM is not really oriented toward cloud, and all of these issues. You see people struggling with that one also? You do, and, and, and to be fair to the government, it, that's not unique to the government, right? So mm -hmm. the past 10, 15 years ago, there's been a rush of innovative uh, point solutions, right? And, and we've all tried to embrace them, but the problem with point solutions is that they are independently operated. So. Uh, it, not only does that create a complexity problem, but you don't have those innovative solutions working together as a team. So fundamentally, uh, you know, if you're going to do offense as a team, what our adversaries are doing, you need to be able to do defense as a team as well. So you want to get all these different innovative products working together so you can defend at the time and place of your choosing rather than the adversary's uh, uh, choice of your weaknesses. And a couple of people mentioned containerization, and we hear this a lot as a way of encapsulating things. I guess that's kind of like the next step beyond virtualization is containerization, which I think is a superset of virtualization. And what about all of the management and monitoring and security tools? Do those go into the container? How does that all work from an architectural and just from a functional standpoint? Bo? Um, it's it's different, and when we um, w you know recently we were um, uh, trying to figure out how to integrate some of the containers into the enterprise logging strategy, and it's not as simple as just putting an agent on the container. Um, I, I think. Um, 
what we have to do is really look at what the cloud service providers are offering in, in regards to the tools and, and applets and, and so forth that operate at a container la layer and figure out how to leverage those into the bigger picture. One of the things that we've noticed in our cloud transition is that um, you know the cloud service providers are doing a lot of work to, to achieve this integration with their services, mm -hmm. especially those cloud service providers that also own the operating systems that we're used to using, right? And stretching those um, into the cloud, uh, we've seen where, um, you know, us using the cloud uh, tools, also, uh, we can also leverage those for monitoring our on-prem assets as well, and it really creates a, an integrated dashboard and an integrated view of those um, uh, those tools. So, yeah, just to clarify, the tools available from the providers in their clouds work backwards to something that might be on-premise. Yeah, a lot of times they do. Not the other way, Especially when you have the operating system um, to, to, to integrate with. Right, for those vendors that also publish operating systems right. that are widely used in the federal government. Right. right we're going to continue with that point. Right now we're going to take a short break. Uh, my guests today are Greg Hall, Assistant Director of Information Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. Bo Hauser is Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. Colonel Brian Lytle was Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for Information Assurance and Cyber at the Transportation Security Administration. Philip Quaid is Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is Moving to the Cloud with a Secure Cyber Foundation. Sponsored by Fortinet here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. How can federal agencies fortify enterprise security? By relying on a trusted partner like Fortinet Federal. Simplify cybersecurity complexity. Eliminate single purpose applications. Break the cycle of purchase, atrophy, and purchase again. Take control from the data center to the cloud with Fortinet's integrated future-ready protection approach and keep your agency assets safe. Learn more at FortinetFederal.com. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Moving to the Cloud with a Secure Cyber Foundation, sponsored by Fortinet here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Philip Quaid, the Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet, Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for the Information Assurance and Cybersecurity at the Transportation Security Administration. Colonel Brian Lytle is Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Bo Hauser is Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. And Greg Hall is Assistant Director of Information Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. I'm your host, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about this whole idea of containers and what tools can go in the containers and are the tools for cyber backward compatible or down the wire back to your own premises. And Paul, I think you wanted to pick up on that also. I think Bo was leading in the right direction, but the thing that I, I want to always talk to my team about is there's an opportunity to change how we've done things. There's a different strategy with containers where we don't have to really think about that container which was this, this virtualized machine where I've got to worry about it being infected and is there something there, is that if, if I can just maybe look at the integrity of the container, if it starts to wobble, I throw it away and create a new one. Um, I focus on on that container and it's so easily disposable. The second thing is is that it's much more secure from my perspective where today in the environment I've got three copies. I've got one in development, I've got one in the test environment, I've got one production and depending on who's managing those environments they may be different at any one time. So this really moves to the what, to the point where there's really one copy that I know has been completely patched, it's up to date, and when I throw that container out, I, I can bring in a, a new one to take over. So that strategy also changes the way that, that we approach it from that security monitoring, what do I need to? Uh, the last thing I would talk about when we do talk about containerization um, is that that container services platform that we're now introducing um, 
is really the, the point of threat that, that we're starting to think about. Before VMs, how do you keep VMs from attacking each other? Well, now it's that container orchestration software underneath that may be the, uh, the point of, of the threat. So we're you know, looking at how do we monitor that as well. Um, and, but Bo's right, it, it's about you know, who's in there, uh, or they should be there and uh, from an identity perspective and, and what data is it do they have access to? Yeah, I guess if someone had access to that orchestration layer, then mm -hmm. they could cause you to rapidly reproduce a threat as opposed to killing it and starting over. Right. Okay, is, have you found that also, Greg? Uh, a little bit. I think you know, it's easy to have the discussion about tools and we start talking about this tool or that tool and I think what we should be talking about is being tool agnostic in some respects, right? And focusing more on standardization, right? And open APIs and those kinds of things where it doesn't matter what tool you choose. It really, what matters is how it integrates and is it easy to integrate and support or is it not? And are there open data standards that we can use to exchange data across multiple security platforms? Right, and I think you know these are things that we need to drive to the vendors, right, through our procurement actions, and say, hey, we want you to support open standards, right? We want you to support data standards and be able to share information across multiple platforms. It's not necessarily the case that um, there's going to be a suite solution for every particular platform within an environment, right? There might be multiple point solutions, and they all have to play nicely in the sandbox. So I think you know that's a really important concept, and. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that you know, we need to think about that, regardless of what environment it's in, whether it's the cloud environment within a VPC or a container or on-premise or whatever, right, that, that, that's important. Yeah, the goal is to be able to sleep at night knowing your data is safe and not particularly worrying about what toolbox you're unfolding for that particular situation. Exactly. And that gets to the issue of complexity. And I know, uh, Brian, that's something you have lived with ever since your artillery days uh, as you moved into IT. Yeah, uh, so my background is on the software engineering uh, for the combat forces of the Army and then growing up and coming into DISA to moving from that, that complex moving physical domain into the cyberspace domain where everything is logical. Um, really those standards that Greg was talking about become very, very important. Um, our logistics community, our maneuver community, the fires community, et cetera, on the land side of the house have all done a pretty good job over the last several decades on standardizing communications with each other. Um, when you move up into the joint or the defense department level, I'm now protecting three and a half million users, six million machines, um, terabytes upon terabytes of data coming in and out of the department every day through mostly DISA controlled spaces, but some others as well. Um, so how do you possibly standardize to find efficiencies and still maintain operations on a daily basis? Um, Greg pointed out, we don't, I don't really want to get into tool wars, I completely agree. Um, I'm pushing for open standards and communications across vendors to where I can be tool agnostic as I run through my procurement cycle every five years. I potentially could have a new vendor come into this space with new or updated capabilities. It could be hosted within one of my data centers. It could be a machine that's owned and operated at, by a local command, or yet it might be hosted uh, within a cloud environment. So I have to be able to account for all those different types of architectures um, and the, the depth and breadth of the mission spaces that the Defense Department has, ranging to from support to civilian authorities up to and including physical uh, wartime environments. So I, I really need a toolkit that will, will interoperate across a suite of systems um, that are owned by commanders in a variety of situations. And for me, that really pushes towards uh, that, that set of open standards that allows everyone to interoperate together. Yeah, and we've seen over the decades of computing, whenever something becomes big, and it has lots of vendors, then often you see alliances and open interfaces and sharing take place. And I guess that's happening through the Cyber Threat Alliance, uh, Phil, that is something that Fortinet's involved with. Sure, uh, Fortinet uh, helped start the Cyber Threat Alliance with the idea that uh, fundamentally that sharing information benefits everyone, specifically threat information. Uh, one of our slogans is that one man's detection is another man's prevention. So what we mean is that if, um, if, if those who are experts at doing three re threat research in the private sector uh, were to share that information with each other, the whole community is, is better off. And so we're trying to turn the theory of information sharing into operational action in the, in the private sector side. The next evolution of that, though, goes beyond simple sharing. Uh, we think it's uh, what we call automatic ingestion, auto-ingestion of sets data because you don't want to have a, uh, a, bunch of a bunch of pitchers and not too many catchers. You want to make sure that you, ha you have to be able to catch that threaded information and automatically act on it in cyber relevant time. 
Yeah, that, that whole idea of, of sharing uh, among federal agencies, you hear a lot of talk about. It's probably not that well developed as people wish, but the idea of, of interfaces and interoperability among vendors voluntarily, that's another whole level of this. Comments? Being able to share all of those threats and the knowledge of what those are across my entire DOD enterprise is something that we're seeking not just for situation awareness, but speed and efficiencies um, within all the programs in order for us to detect across that. Uh, vendors have formed an alliance to share their research and development to understand what the threats are that they then take out and make it an appropriate response within their own individual product lines. I'm then able to take advantage of that um, within all the products that I have because I'm always operating in a hybrid environment with many vendors within uh, my architecture as well. Uh, so something that I see down at my endpoint uh, would also be communicated back to uh, that vendor-specific cloud application and then spread out throughout the rest of their architecture as well, informing the rest of their customers as well as the, uh, to include the rest of the Defense Department that uses that particular product line as well. So it's a good argument for keeping your apps up to date. Absolutely. Um, the, the, and those updates occur you know, in seconds or minutes now instead of waiting days or sometimes weeks to actually get an individual signature that counters a specific threat in as well. So we are, we're definitely speeding up our operations and the ability to defend ourselves in almost real time now. Yeah, and Bo, you know, as a relatively small agency compared to, say, the Defense Department or, you know, the Justice Department or Homeland Security, you probably have this desire to get information on what's happening in terms of cyber threats elsewhere. What's your strategy for trying to make sure you, you not only get it but are aware of what's coming in? Right, and I think this is where the um, federal uh, government is, is focused on shared services. We really want to maximize the resources, the cybersecurity resources across government as far as, as possible, especially when it comes to mid-size and smaller agencies, so we don't have to recreate a full featured program um, because that's expensive. Um, so what, what we do is take advantage of the DHS shared services. One of their shared services is the automated indicator sharing program um, and that is for federal agencies and for private sector um, but where I think that we need to strengthen the the information sharing um, um, tools and, and capabilities is around the trust factor if we're going to get to a point where we're going to go shields up against these indicators at, at wire speed we have to have a trust level associated with that indicator and that's where um, we're just not as mature as I would like to see I, because you know we'll, we'll we've seen before we block some Something, um, that shouldn't be blocked and it's because that trust factor is not really where it needs to be. Yeah, so this idea, say in software development and deployment, there's a lot of orchestration and automation coming into that whole field, creating containers, but when it comes to reacting to threats, you're saying that without trustworthy data coming in, invoking automated procedures, you could do some damage. Right. Shut there's down things that don't need to be shut down. Right. There's a lot of uh, progress. There's been a lot of progress made um, in sharing information as quickly as folks are aware of it for situational awareness. Um, but I think we need to focus uh, some some effort now around uh, the the trust level associated with the indicator and um, and really mature that area so that agencies can leverage it at uh, you know in an automated fashion. Comments? Sure. I think there's um, I think there's other opportunities as well. I think there are opportunities for the government to actually help industry look at their particular vertical or their potential ecosystem par ecosystem partners in a whole new way. Uh, and examples of that would be within our identity nexus management program, where we've uh, worked with particular vendors and um, where we thought there might be a good connector there that allows authentication information to be shared with identity governance administration information that it, it really wasn't there. And so what ends up happening is a new formation of a business uh, strategic alliance among these vendors that uh, begins to bear real fruit for them both within their vertical as well as across the federal government for folks that can reuse that service. We've also seen that same opportunity uh, present itself with regards to privilege access management solutions and identity governance administration solutions and we've uh, again been the catalyst for a connector being built there. So I think not only is uh, sharing information important but I think just technologically looking at how these solutions interoperate and how they communicate with one another, we've had an opportunity to really be a change agent uh, in the commercial industry. And uh, so it's, it's exciting 
uh, to think about new ways to work with partners uh, within the cybersecurity uh, environment. I think you know both within again systems integrations perspective as well as sharing you know cyber data and having real-time situational awareness. Sure, and, and Phil, as this whole situation gets more pronounced, more urgent, what about that sharing among vendors and uh, that you mentioned earlier? Uh, we need to continue to find ways to embrace innovative products. So I'm going to quote an old. Uh, Defense Department uh, boss, Donald Rumsfeld, he talked about um, having a strategy that, that goes after the known knowns, the known unknowns, and the unknown unknowns. So information sharing is, uh, takes on the known knowns directly. If you can find out a vulnerability or a threat and characterize it into an indicator, you can knock down those known known threats, those known risks. The known unknowns are taken care of by behavior-based technology. What are the risky indicators that you or your peers are seeing that you can then uh, incorporate and uh, use to mitigate risky behaviors? And lastly, the unknown unknowns, the way you go about uh, preparing for that is by future-proofing your architecture, by allowing the easy integration of innovative products that aren't yet invented. And that gets back to one of um, the points made earlier about uh, making sure you have an open architecture in which you can embrace those uh, yet-to-be-developed products. Yeah, so uh, that's right. And as we build these hybrid environments, everything has to, you know, there's the modernization overlay that is coming from the White House and really I think every agency has the need to modernize their, uh, some of their old applications and their infrastructure. So that gets to that idea of what kind of architecture do you replace it with because it really the architecture is the underlying, I guess, characteristic that'll let modernization happen not just now but in the future. So how do you approach that one given the hybrid environments that we have and the threat situation that we have? You know, architecture is where we start every morning. Um, every every contract that I'm involved in, every working with every line of business, it starts with what's the proposed architecture? How is it going to integrate with our identity stores? How are we going to know where the data is at? It's it's those two fundamental pennings that we have to approach every piece of architecture. And then, do we, are they going to use common services that we th have throughout throughout TSA? We have over 70 systems. You know, over 15 that are in development. A lot of those are in clouds, and and they are. It is you know, it is a complex task. But um, the architecture can be put in place to enable those to succeed, it's up to us to then define what the what the rules of engagement are. Here's how you plug in. As an example, you show up and we're going to enable a, 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 sale, a software as a service platform. Well, here's how you're going to get your identity. We're going to kind of plug it in this way and I expect the vendor to kind of play this way. Well, we have to make that known. We have to be able to publicize how we're going to do that and in a common, repeatable process so we can have those expected outcomes. So. Uh, it is complex, it's growing, and, and I think there's some opportunities to change it as we move into the platform as a service, get, get out of the infrastructure days. Uh, you know, I think in the future we really need to talk more about software-defined networking uh, and maybe shifting some of these responsibilities to a vendor who can, who can maintain some of these more core IT. But that's, that's longer term because we are going to be dealing with legacy uh, data centers and data and, and some of these things that are very expensive to replace but vital to the nation's security uh, for an awfully long time. Sure. Greg? I think some of this is not a technology issue. I also think that some of this is, you know, a policy planning, you know, governance issue, right? Um, you know, Paul and I were talking earlier about EyeSight, right? And I think one of the things that was so wonderful about EyeSight was it really commoditized IT, right? And it provided a reference architecture and people knew how to plug in and they knew how to consume those services. EyeSight, we should clarify the, the uh, sharing environment of the intelligence community. Correct, right? Tom, yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think- Early in the social media era. That's right, uh, you know, standardized uh, unified communications, applications and applications mall, uh, cloud service providers, uh, desktop services, I mean, you name it, it basically, identified that as a commoditized IT service and, and it actually adopted contemporary business models and named service providers, right? Among me, that was a pretty novel concept. But so I think, you know, part of the architecture discussion is understanding um, the big picture, right? And I think, you know, EyeSight uh, really had the, the fortuity of, of having a big picture uh, leadership uh, in place and, and supporting that. And, you know, things that came out of that were data standards, right? Um, and uh, metadata standards and, and basically enforcing those standards when data was ingested to do analytics. Uh, a referenced architecture came out of that. So, um, and that could be applicable both in the cloud and on-prem. Right? I, I, uh, I, I think it's important for folks to really understand the environment and know how, to, uh, how they fit in that environment, how to consume those services and 
Um, and if they're a service provider, to provide those in a way that's sure. scalable and uh, affordable and, and, uh, and easy to use. And Brian, for your complexity challenges, architecture the way ahead on that? Yes, the, uh, the architecture challenges we have is, as the department is you have all the services with their Title X authorities and responsibilities to equip their own forces, um, but yet somehow federate back up to the Defense Department and into the overall federal government uh, architectures as well. So we've, we've been effective in some ways in consolidating onto single purchase buys. We also gain efficiencies of cost that way. However, you lose some of the initiative um, and the ingenuity uh, when you try and field a single product across the entire Department of Defense. So you lose out on those new products you can rapidly field um, and provide a new capability out to your deploying forces or even into your enterprise itself. Um, so having that open system architecture uh, and the acquisition agility even to go out and purchase some of these more fine grain individual capabilities and then integrate back up into an overall department level and reporting back, here's my current status, I'm patched to this level um, or I'm not patched to this level, I'm going to have to delay for a couple of weeks because there's an operation ongoing, become very critical to our operations. All right, on that note, we'll take another short break. Our guests today are Colonel Brian Lytle, Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for the Information Assurance and Cybersecurity at the TSA. Philip Quaid is Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. Greg Hall is Assistant Director of Information System Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department, and Bo Hauser, Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. I'm your host, Tom Temin. This discussion is moving to the cloud with a secure cyber foundation sponsored by Fortinet here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. How can federal agencies fortify enterprise security? By relying on a trusted partner like Fortinet Federal. Simplify cybersecurity complexity. Eliminate single-purpose applications. Break the cycle of purchase, atrophy, and purchase again. Take control from the data center to the cloud with Fortinet's integrated future-ready protection approach and keep your agency assets safe. Learn more at fortinetfederal.com. Welcome back to our panel discussion, Moving to the Cloud with a Secure Cyber Foundation, sponsored by Fortinet, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Greg Hall, is Assistant Director of Information Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. Bo Hauser is Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. Colonel Brian Lytle is Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for Information Assurance and Cybersecurity at the Transportation Security Administration. And Philip Quaid is Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. I'm your host, Tom Temin. And earlier in the prior segment, we talked about something that's really become a big issue. I mean, it's always been an issue in computing where you have to have people log on, but that is ID management, and especially in the cloud, when we no longer have these elaborate directories on premises and so forth. What, is, what strategies are you using to make sure that ID management is secure and working, especially given some of the basic plumbing of the internet, which is you know insecure by design going back to the 1970s? Greg, you want to that sure, one? thanks, Tom. First of all, I'd say you know identity and access management is foundational, and it's not only managing identities; it's managing identities, it's authentication, and it's access management. It's all of those things together. That's the foundation of identity and access management: is managing those three things and integrating those three things. I think when we talk about identities, um, it almost kind of comes down to something as simple as do you trust this identity or do you not trust this identity? And are there varying levels of trust when someone asserts an identity? And, uh, and today, I mean, you know, look at Brian, I mean, you, you know, ecosystem partners for you, right? Yes. All the defense department entities, all the allies, you know, how do you integrate all of those identities into one ecosystem and share information and resources, right? And to, to what extent do you trust them? Uh, and so I think that's kind of the inherent challenge that we face today. Uh, HSPD-12 was one of those things that 
really was codified to initially address this, right, and to um, define unique identities across the federal government to credential those identities and to be able to assert that credential into an environment and to gain both physical access and logical access to resources. And those credentials have evolved over time and we've got uh, interoperability now with uh, CAC and PIV and PIVI and those kinds of things and, uh, and it's come a long way. Um, I know within the department we've made significant investments in identity access management because we believe it's such a foundational capability. Um, and that's both on-prem and in the cloud. And I think that's one of the challenges today is to understand what that model is going to be. Am I going to host my own identity access management service and extend that to a cloud environment and to extend that to different on-premise on uh, environments and, and manage it myself? Or am I going to consume a commercial cloud service or commercial cloud service providers identity access management service? And I think those are some of the things that we have to work through. Um, but uh, it gets more complicated because people may be coming into the network or into the uh, application with a mobile device from anywhere in the world, absolutely. or they might be sitting at their desk on N Street with a standard desktop PC. That's right. And I think in a lot of respects we think about identities in terms of carbon-based slice forms, but there's also identities for devices, right? And I think we would all agree there that you know not only are we credentialing people, but we're credentialing and they're that's right. <laughs> we're, we're credentialing devices as well, right? So we have to understand what devices are authorized and should be in our environment, which ones are not, and we have to be able to identify that, you know. And so um, I think that really kind of underscores the importance and and what what a foundation IDAM is and how we have to really spend a lot of time, I think figuring out how we're going to implement that. You know. Yeah, Paul, thoughts, especially in the, uh, the TSA environment, which is really a mixture of a lot of security overlay needs. Absolutely, I mean, across you know, legacy all the way to the innovation, but following on what Greg was talking about, absolutely, you know, our, our goal from an architecture perspective is can we control the flow of traffic from any device? Can we make sure that it's inspected? Is it going into the right channels? And is it, uh, you know, our data centers and how they connect to clouds, you know, forcing that traffic through a, a trusted internet connection or a, a secure cloud interconnect so we know exactly where that traffic is going on. So there's a lot of discussion as to how do you flow that traffic and then there's an expectation that we have some uh, view uh, and warning if something goes bad there. I'd also add to the, the talk about uh, those who have access, we spend a lot of time focusing on, the first thing I'll ask is tell me who the privileged users are, who can put their hands on data where, and how, do you know who they are, can you track them, and how are you going to do that, and what services are you going to leverage? That leads into those other questions. There was a recent breach here several weeks ago uh, that we heard about where, uh, you know, an organization's flat network led to the container software which didn't have a username and password credentials to that, and that became the source of the breach or data mm -hmm. uh, discovery. There, there are things in the cloud that we hadn't expected. So we have to look at how people are getting in, just as you said, um, but it has to be, we have to know who's there. Um, and the mistakes will be by, by one of our, our vendor partners or ourselves and how we you know, set up the uh, configurations and management. How do, we, how do we oversee that properly? And it gets back to what, what kind of visibility do we have? So it's so important to what we do. Bo? Yeah, and at SBA, as we're uh, endeavoring in our cloud migration, uh, we're, uh, you know, implementing um, the identity as part of the design, and that's something that we weren't able to do with an on-prem model. So, traditionally, just when you're talking network access, right, there had to be a network path that existed, and then we layer all these rules, all these firewall rules, which really relate to the device that you're on, and now in the cloud, we're able to also add identity to the network access layer, um, uh, which is new to us, and, and it really um, allows us to get packet level visibility and associate that with an identity, which is, which is new, and that's not available uh, unless you're in the cloud. And so um, it's really impressive how far that's come, um, and I think that you know, combined with strong uh, identity and strong authentication, that's really going to be uh, transformational um, when it comes to security in the cloud. Yes, yeah, so you really need security for the authentication, make sure that the identities are trusted, but you also have to protect the data, I would think, Phil. In many ways, it's like if you break into a store full of beer kegs, if you don't have a tap, it doesn't matter. I think you're, I think you're right. You know, today's networks have become borderless, right? So uh, uh, access management and identity management becomes the supreme strategy, right? You need to protect the data wherever it is, in your, your own data center or in the cloud. So the strategies of uh, micro-segmentation, macro-segmentation, done with great agility is, in, in my opinion, 
uh, probably the, the first and foremost security strategy we need to embrace. And oh, by the way, do that without uh, overwhelming people with complexity. Yeah, and I guess there's another piece to it is that a given identity may have different access privileges in different contexts. Absolutely, I think there's another <coughs> piece to this that uh, we didn't really discuss heretofore, which is the data, right? We can talk about identities, we can talk about authentication, we can talk about access management, we can talk about policies, but there has to be parity in the data with the identities and with the rules for least privilege and with the entitlements that we manage for identities and with um, roles that people have. And, and so uh, yeah, a lot of times that kind of gets left behind and we don't think about metadata standards. We don't think about labeling data as it's being ingested, right? And this is what really facilitates fine-grained access. Right, so I think when we look at this holistically, uh, IDEM is extremely comprehensive and it requires a lot of resources, a lot of planning, and takes a lot of time. It's definitely worthwhile, but um, you know, to get to that panacea of being able to protect our data you know, at the object level or at the really fine-grained level, these are the things that we have to do. Right? And um, you know, it's also an, it's a huge enabler and there's a huge return on investment if we do it right. And if, if you just think about things like enterprise single sign-on, right? and the time to actually get to a resource and, and do your job, right? If, we, if, we've, en if we've enabled through a single sign-on capability you know, several e-litigation applications and it's seamless for an attorney to get access to that and to go through the discovery information seamlessly, think about how, how much of an impact that would have just in terms of you know, the litigation effort itself and potentially the outcome of the case. Mm -hmm. So, um, <coughs> it, it, again, I, I just think it's a foundational service and I think, you know, We've already seen the, the how it allows us to do just-in-time privilege escalation and just-in-time you know ports and and service um, uh, enabling and disabling. So you escalate your privilege, you do what you need to do, and then your privilege is is back to a normal user. And then if you need a port or a protocol, you get that for a certain amount of time. Those are already built into the cloud and and really um, key when it comes to the granular control that we need. And Brian, Paul said something earlier that gave me a thought, and that is that in the cloud, when that architecture becomes combined with our on-prem, we're discovering new vulnerabilities that may not have been on-prem, but are exclusive to the cloud, which gets to the idea of something that sounds like fun, but really is an integral part of all this, something the DOD does widely, and that is the bug bounty idea. So we have, uh, yeah, we've done a couple of very successful bug bounty operations already. Um, this has participated in two of them. Um, where we contracted that capability out, had some researchers specifically look for vulnerabilities and come back um, with results. And it's a really ingenious, rapid, fast way to go find things that we would not otherwise look at um, with our own particular DOD perspective uh, to go find things. Um, we've had a couple companies just do scanning of all of our external uh, facing portals, et cetera, to look for particular vulnerabilities or, or ways in that we didn't know were there, had just decayed away, our knowledge had decayed away over time. Mm -hmm. So some of these ingenious things that are coming out of uh, the commercial industry that are really available have become very beneficial to us in terms of plugging gaps. Now, uh, are sometimes the cloud provider, the commercial clouds, part of the infrastructure that's being hit by the bug bounty programs? Uh, not so far. I was going to say they might um, not like it so much. No, um, I think that we would have to work pretty closely with them to uh, to go do that. But they they invest tens of millions or billions, depending on which company you're talking about, into their own security. Um, and if they're authorized to operate with us, then they've gone through a fairly rigorous screening process that meet our standards and our confidence levels. Um, kind of going back to multi-factor authentication, um, part of the earlier topic, um, we are talking about fine-grained access. One of the things that we're investing into on the research and development side of the house is a concept called assured identity, which I think is what we're, we're talking about. Um, so we're working with a couple of chipset vendors to actually embed down onto the chipset level for your mobile devices um, the opportunity to have multi-factors of authentication, not just a thumbprint or a user ID and password combination. It, it scales beyond that. It's the, the known route that you take to work. It's the, yes, I'm actually in my office today. I'm plugged into a known port, mm -hmm. et cetera. And the, and the more factors that you have within your authentication scheme, the more fine-grained access and the elevated user privileges that you have mm -hmm. um, 
across all of your systems. So it's, a, it's in the research and development phase for us right now, um, but that's hoping that we're hoping to bring forward in the next couple of years. Yeah, because that's a tough one, because finding real estate inside a mobile device can yes. be a challenge in itself, even if it's a tiny EEPROM or something that might have the, the hardware foundation for what you describe. Yes, but hugely beneficial, not just to us, but I, I, I think to not, and not just the federal government, but to all vendors across the, the United States and the rest of the world. If you can get to that fine grain of level, you know, mm -hmm. I, I only want to be able to see my bank account. I'm not in a trusted location, um, but yet I want to be able to do transfers uh, between accounts. That's something entirely different. In the time we have left, I want to ask one final question quickly, and that is things will happen. Things will go wrong for agencies, as they do for some of the corporations. What are the new strategies for what you might call agile recovery so that you can get back to some semblance of operating efficiency and, and maybe not lose too much data. Thoughts on, on agile recovery? Phil? Um, both Greg and Bo were poking at this one earlier. Um, we're getting close to the dream of what I call um, auto resiliency and auto regeneration. That's where you measure in real time your degree of resiliency. What's the risk of resilience that you're facing? And what could you do automatically to mitigate that risk, such as spin up some new cloud capacity, or maybe implement a, a new SD-WAN configuration, and maybe, as Bo was saying, uh, automatically push out some new firewall rules. So uh, we're all not there yet as a community, but by leveraging these high degrees of automation integration, we're going to get there towards uh, what I call auto-resiliency. Okay. And there's also the notion of a mutable architecture where, you know, if you, if you can imagine an attack taking 20 minutes, right, on average, and then if you can replace that box every 10 minutes, there's no way that that box could be attacked with that specific attack. So a mutable architecture is something I think that's going to, and that's what um, Paul was saying earlier, is something that, that is going to really drive up the cost of attacks for, for our attackers and, um, uh, you know, part of that um, resilient architecture approach. Sure. Paul, final 30 seconds. You know, I, I think the opportunity here is that we're growing this visibility, we're growing this hybrid nation. Visibility is the key. And then the ability to bring together ops and security to work side by side. Something happens, the ability to quickly communicate what's going on. Um, because the idea of there's an attack, it may not be the, in one place, it may be someplace else. So how do we work together to make sure we don't push out and, you know, a self-induced denial of service? Um, but uh, I think that's where the future lies. All right, uh, great note to end on, the future. I want to thank today's guests. They were Greg Hall, is Assistant Director of Information Security and the Chief Information Security Officer in the Executive Office for U.S. Attorneys at the Justice Department. Bo Hauser is Chief Information Security Officer at the Small Business Administration. Colonel Brian Lytle, Program Executive Officer of the Cyber Development Directorate at the Defense Information Systems Agency. Paul Morris is Chief Information Security Officer and Executive Director for Information Assurance and Cyber at the Transportation Security Administration. And Philip Quaid, Chief Information Security Officer at Fortinet. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, and you're listening to Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com using the search term Fortinet. Thank you for listening to the Moving to the Cloud with a Secure Cyber Foundation discussion, sponsored by Fortinet on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion is available on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search Fortinet. 